All right, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen. That would have sucked. <laughs> yes, that would have sucked. Ladies and gentlemen, I almost started the episode without hitting record. Uh, I haven't done that yet, but I came as close today as I ever have. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of uh, Hot Dogs and Caviar. Uh, we're going to be doing just just a quick one today uh, over one short subject. And as a result, I have a short subject funny story. It's not a funny story. It's something nature said. I just want to share it with you. Uh, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but when uh, Tarver is on, which is about half the episodes these days, the atmosphere gets a little chaotic and high-spirited. And uh, I have wanted to let y'all know that every time I try the intro... Tarver, who is always limited on time, he's always got someplace to be because he's like building a restaurant. Every time I start the intro, he deliberately screws it up at least three times. Like, <laughs> he just, he can't resist. Even when he's short on time, and he loves doing the cast, even when he's short on time, he still <laughs> can't just let me get through the info. So I was talking about it today, and Nate said, say it, Nate. I go, <laughs> this is not an insult. I love, <laughs> this is just, a, this is a good explanation of Tarver's personality. He's like a dog waiting to be let out of a car. <laughs> right. He's, it's like when my wife's trying to take the dog for a walk and the dog knows she's going for a walk. So she's so oh, yeah. excited. Oh, yeah. She's so excited that she won't hold still and you can't get the leash on her. That's what Tarver is like starting a podcast. He's so enthusiastic. He's so happy. But the way he expresses that is like annoying pranks. <laughs> So I'm desperately trying to get like this done, and and Tarver's just exuberantly screaming bullshit over my intro, just because he can't. That's, that's how he is about everything, though, man. He's so passionate. Yeah, he's like it's he's funny. Best. It, it, he's it, the freaking best. It'll come across on the line sometimes because you'll like be trying to get a plate out, and you're trying really hard, and it's all perfect. And he'll just walk up and drag his thumb right through your sauce and be like, ha replate, and then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I like, miss cooking and working with him so he's, much. He's, just, he's such an inveterate prankster. He's so He would never do that if it would actually hurt the servers, but if it would just annoy a cook, he was all about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't do that very often, but he definitely did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, so anyway. He's not on today, but that's how I was able to get through the intro relatively unscathed. But Nate and I were talking about it. And then because he's he's so exuberant, like I just follow suit. I'll, I fo- I would follow Tarver around like a lost puppy, man. Like I would do anything he did, <laughs> and if he's doing it, I want to do it. <laughs> which which really makes for an incredibly fun, incredibly friendly, incredibly passionate, and incredibly good workplace where you turn out really seriously kick-ass food. So I'm like that yippy little dog in the cartoon following around the big bulldog. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Where are we going now? Where are we going? Now? <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So that, anyway, that's our relationship with Harbor King summed up in a nutshell. Uh, sorry, he couldn't be here this week. Uh, the next time we get him on, we're going to have a deep dive on ramen. So that should be fun. Ramen. Yep. But, uh, you know, his, his time, like I said, is limited. So uh, we'll let you know. We'll let you know when that's coming. As for today, uh, Nate and I are going to discuss... The most Charleston of topics. Uh, the most Charleston of topics of all. Nate, why don't you take it away? Yeah, we're going to dive into the local shrimping industry and how awesome the local shrimp are and how it's getting somewhat of a resurgence, but, you know, the economics of it and, you know, all different things about local shrimp. It's kind of a forgotten product around the area and i think it's the king of charleston seafood i really do it's i think it's the best product it's it's definitely the best product that you can get in very large quantities yes like um you know everyone's you know crushing on the oysters and loving on 
local locavore everything but the shrimp has quietly been there and been the backbone of the charleston fishing industry for a very very long time absolutely well uh let's um, get into it then um well let's for starters uh let's just talk about let's start with the fun stuff like local shrimp is great uh nate where do you go for local shrimp Oh, the same place you do, my man. Go to the the Tarvin, the Tarvin family, and the boat, the Miss Paula. Um, is Paula you know, the, is Paula the boat's name? Yeah, that's the name of the boat. Huh, yep. I've been going there for years. I always thought Paula was the owner. <laughs> no, her, no, that's Cindy, man. I know, I know, Cindy. I just figured there was some Paula that was some puppet master up in the works somewhere. Some some godfather behind some closed door. I feel like an no, idiot. That's the name, name of their boats. <laughs> and uh, they learned the shrimping industry from, you know, the OG, the Magwood family. No, oh, you know um, a lot more about this than they're I do. Like, they're, they're like the Charleston shrimping, you know, I don't know, like royalty, I guess. Like yeah. the Magwood family. And they just kind of picked up the torch and keep running with it. I'm they telling do a you, phenomenal there's... job, and they're the nicest people on earth. They I'm really so, are. They're you. like your favorite aunt and uncle. <laughs> Paula Magwood Tarvin is sitting up in a room somewhere, you know, just behind behind a scrim. You know, no one can see her, no one can talk to her, like Robert the Bruce's dad and Braveheart pulling all the strings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep the legend of Miss Paula Tarvin Mal, Malwood Magwood alive. <laughs> That's cool. This imaginary yeah, I, person I just really, I just really I always feel like existed. it's. <laughs> I just really feel like the the shrimping industry is just something that's just kind of forgotten among a lot of a lot of the restaurants and a lot of the chefs and a lot of the you know local residents. You know, it doesn't quite the fanfare as the oyster industry and things like that. And it's just the shrimp here are world class, yeah. world class. Absolutely. Like I I I stopped. I had to stop using. For the longest time, I used frozen shrimp in my career because shrimp freeze very well. They just yes, happen. They do. Like you, I can't tell the difference between a never frozen shrimp and a frozen shrimp if the frozen shrimp was handled properly. Yes, that's the key. If it's frozen properly, if it's frozen at sea, like it's fine. But on the other hand, a lot of shrimp producers, and I'm talking shrimp producers that charge almost as much as the local guys, will start to do things like putting a really aggressive chemical wash on the shrimp, and that stuff has a flavor. When I was a kid, I thought I hated shrimp because I hated the, the flavor of old shrimp with chem wash. It makes yep. it last longer. It fixes the shelf life. Yeah, the tripolyphosphates or tripoly uh, for sure. And the Altessa, like they definitely have like a chemical flavor, like a really sodium kind of scratchy kind of off-putting flavor. With the Altessa, it can add a little bit of a sweetness. So some people like that and it helps like caramelize in the pan a little bit better. Um, but it is not a desirable attribute. And especially, you know, kids with like developing flavor palettes and their tongue, like they don't, they don't like that at all. Well, I mean, at worst, it can be kind of bleachy. Bleachy, yes, that's a good description. It is like kind of bleachy. Almost. I've had shrimp that tastes almost chlorinated. Chlorinated, alkaline. Just, it's gross. It's not. When it's, they cook up, they get a little wooly. Yeah, exactly. I get why. I get why companies do it. But the thing about living in a shrimp oh, absolutely. port is we never have to tolerate that. Like, I actually stopped. There was another seafood place I go to. Uh, I go there a lot, and uh, I I'm not going to name check them because I'm about to diss them. But I love this place, and I go there at least twice a, twice a month. But there, I, I stopped buying shrimp there 
because they they weren't buying local shrimp. The local shrimp, I think, were going to Tarvin. This place is right down the right down the creek from Tarvin. But yeah. I love their fish selection, and they have a couple of guys in there to help me out with weird bycatch. Like if you've seen on the blog, dogsandcaviar.blogspot.com. Uh, <laughs> if you've seen the bycatch report, every once in a while, the guy will, a guy will keep aside some weird fish for me. These guys are awesome. But they were getting their their shrimp in frozen, and they switched one of their sources. And so the, the shrimp had a pronounced chemwash flavor to them. And that's actually why I started buying tarpon shrimp at home. Because my, my local fishmonger, I just got chemically shrimp from him twice in a row. And I was like, you know what? That's enough for me. And I feel bad because maybe they were having a supply problem. Uh, and maybe they had to get shrimp. You know, like a lot of people will just freak out. Like shrimp is one of those things that a, a Charleston seafood, uh, seafood shop has to have. You can't be out of shrimp. So if, yeah, and if, so maybe, if, I, maybe, go ahead. if I'm mistaken, I apologize to the to the restaurants on Shem Creek, but I don't know of a, a restaurant on that creek that uses local shrimp, and well, it's the, pathetic. The thing is, I don't. And know I get the economy. The I get particularly good. They're not yeah. expensive. They're like that's that's kind of a tourist waterhole area. Bar, yeah. Yeah, they're bars. Dirt bag bars. Yeah, and I, I don't get me wrong. I love those places, especially Reds. <laughs> yeah, it's great to go out on the patio and crush crush some beers. Yeah, and... sit out there, eat some eat some fish and chips that didn't come from anywhere near there, and drink some ice cold Budweiser long necks and look at the boats go by. It's beautiful. But if you want you, real, you food, know what they say though. Place places like that, the view is always better than the food. You don't. The, that place doesn't need to have good food. It's nope. it, like I still go there. Well, I haven't been yep. going out since the pandemic because of my personal situation, which is super annoying. But like. I love going to Reds. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. it's it's not a place for food and everyone kind of knows that. Like it, locals think of that as a place to go grab a drink and go check out the water. Tourists eat it up, which is fine. Let them make their money. That place is always busy. Yeah. Uh so good for them. Good on them. I'm not knocking it. Yeah. No, maybe, I'm not maybe, knocking them and I'll and I'm, you know, call me a capitalist pig, but you know, I'm all for making money too and you know, I get the economics of it. Like if you can get some pretty good brown Asian, Southeast Asian shrimp for three bucks a pound cheaper and they're peeled, like I get, I get it, man. Like I get it, it adds up. I get it. But the thing is the real serious places downtown, uh, they, not even, not even all of them use, I mean, hell, even at the woodlands out of the five star, five diamond restaurant, we were using ocean gardens out of the Gulf because they were really, really consistent and we got a good price. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we were, I mean, we weren't in Charleston. We were like 25 miles outside of Charleston, but yep. even, even we weren't hip to the, the real stuff. These tarvin shrimp are the real deal. A lot of restaurants use them. Restaurants that specialize in seafood tend to use them. Uh, and then even beyond Tarvin, there's Crosby's. Crosby's has great local shrimp in season. Yep. They sure do. They buy from, uh, they buy from all over. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Tarvin sell to them when they have surplus or whatever. Yeah. There's, but, there's um, complications in the industry that they, they will never understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's, they're truly world, world-class products that just need to be realized and need to be, you got to try, like, if you come to Charleston, seek out some local shrimp and you know, yeah, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. If you come to Charleston and you have the ability to do like have cooking facilities, then come to Charleston and go directly to Tarvin because they they run like a retail store. I mean, yeah, right up, on the dock. You pull yep. up there and it looks like it's not for customers. Like it's a warehouse on the dock. There's a dog. There's always water all over the floor. It's always hot as blue blazes in the warehouse. But these people are just blowing through hundreds of pounds of shrimp, and it's the real stuff. 
uh, and yep. he can just walk around right the counter. It right there for but you, and see you later. I feel like to a, to someone who had not been in that kind of situation before, it might be a little intimidating because it feels like you're it feels like you're someplace a customer is not supposed to be, uh, you know, because they're yep. it's not a store. It is their warehouse. They just have a cash register set up in the corner. But if you walk up to the cash register and just kind of look around, somebody will come up. She will be friendly with you. She is a super chatty lady, uh, and she will be happy to sell you some of the best shrimp on earth. And if you're very lucky when you go there, they'll have Royal Reds. Nate, remember Royal Reds? Yeah, Royal Reds. Um, I think they partnered with somebody to get those. I'm not sure if they're catching them or not. I, and they I, recently, I thought they came from further south. So I think yeah, they might, you're right. They, they did get another boat to their fleet that can go farther because they have a, a freezer boat. So they can go a little further south or north if they need cool. to. Um, but I'm not 100% sure if they're catching those Royal Reds, but those are spectacular. They're, they're special shrimp. They have, if they're a, carrying them. They're perfect. Believe they me. Bright red flesh. <laughs> and they have almost, they have, they're starting to taste kind of lobstery. They have that sort of pronounced sweetness. They're, like I mean, if you like rock shrimp, you'll love Royal Reds. Right. If you like rock shrimp or if you like langoustines, like I would say mm-hmm. that if you put, if you put shrimp on one side of the line and you put langoustines on the other side of the line, Royal Reds are still closer to the shrimp side of the line, but they're shading towards langoustine territory. They are still very well put. Very well put. uh, And if you've never had a langoustine, they're also called Dublin Bay Prawn. They're also called Scampi. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. shrimp, Scampi the dish. Scampi the animal. Scampi Scampi the animal. But uh, yeah, uh, New Zealand langoustines. Scampi the animal. Seek them out. (laughs) Seek them out. They're expensive as holy hell. They're some of the best shellfish on earth. Uh, they slice uh, your That fingers. might be my favorite seafood. I hate cleaning them. <laughs> they just cut your thumbs up. I hate up. cleaning them too. Those shells. When are I was so in Italy, pointy. I cleaned. I cleaned cases and cases and cases of those, and my thumbs would just be bleeding all yeah. day for days. Yeah. Just blood everywhere. I'm like, chef, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. Is it's okay? It's normal, man. Wear gloves. Yeah. And they yeah. rip through the gloves. You have no idea how lethal those shells are. Yeah, they're horrible. It's like it's like uh, sticking your hands into a uh, into a bucket of broken razor blades trying to pick out marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. But they're so good. <laughs> they're the best. They're so so good. Okay, so we're we're meandering, which is what we do. But yeah, uh, yeah but so- they're like the local shrimp are up there with langoustines, which are the salt of the earth. They're just amazing. And then, but even like, yeah, the, the, the Royal Reds, they have the local, uh, the local shrimp, uh, they have the brown and white shrimp, which I'm not hundred percent sure on what the difference is. Uh, but the thing about shrimp is it's, it doesn't even really matter necessarily what kind of shrimp you have. Most of the commercial shrimp are pretty good. Size isn't a huge factor. The big ones are a little more expensive, but the small ones can have great flavor too. The key is freshness. If you're dealing with fr- shrimp that aren't chem washed, they have to be fresh. And that's why you really only see them in port cities. So yep. if you're if you, frozen immediately, frozen immediately. Uh, and then, but then the thing with frozen, then they're is once, fine. But the, but the, the trouble with frozen, it becomes a crapshoot because once it's frozen, you don't really know what you're getting. Usually, you got to rely on brand name. You gotta be, you gotta establish some good reputation. You gotta good uh, get to know your fishmonger really good. Exactly, exactly. And I've had I've had people I worked with for years that I couldn't trust. Uh, seafood, the seafood industry is one of the most unregulated wild west of all seafoods it's really the only wild food that restaurants are allowed to serve like you can't go kill a deer and drag it into your restaurant and serve it there's no way you'd be shut down but you can serve wild fish wild you know so it's yeah it's 
it's the wild west it really is still it's the last one mislabeling like regulations but you know processing something one way and then telling somebody that you process in another way is a thing the usda yeah. does not seem to have got or fda or whoever doesn't seem to have guidelines on chem washing so you don't have to say what shrimp or rinsed in and i'm it's sure it's a dirty that- business man it's really it can get real shady especially with like the people who are like really really big oh yeah yeah which is why which is why we want to sing the praises of tarvin it is a small family-owned one unit operation that sells the best shrimp i've had pretty much yeah. anywhere uh yeah. and maybe it's, it's not because it's specifically the best it's because it's the freshest if you live anywhere it's, on the coast anywhere especially on the southern parts of the coast seek out your local shrimp vendor and learn how to buy directly from them and you will you will realize that shrimp are not everyday seafood shrimp are premium seafood just like lobster just like stone crab yep yep they've they've had stone crab a few times too um but i get it man if you're landlocked if you're not near the ocean like you got to do what you got to do but you got to develop those relationships um try seatotable.com um that is a fantastic company that'll send you fresh seafood it's not cheap but it's always perfect um dock to door is pretty good this is cool um, i don't see i just i'm i'm so old school i don't know about any of this i'm learning about all this for the first time so i'll, I'll put links um, you don't to you don't up. need to worry about like like honolulu fish company oh they'll, well, yeah. they'll fedex it right to you right they'll be like hey this is a day from honolulu fish put your wallet on the table and your hands behind your head yeah <laughs> it's, it's but it's perfect it's perfect honolulu fish has is the Honolulu Fish and Brown Trading are the two best yeah. seafood companies in America. One's in Hawaii, one's in New England. So it's the two corners and no, nothing will be more expensive and nothing will be better. Nothing. Yeah, it's probably some of the most expensive proteins on the planet. Like we're, we're talking as much as Kobe beef per pound. Yeah. Crazy expensive, but it's well, also, but it's perfect. Nothing, it's got to get to you. I mean, you yeah. can't just throw it in the back of a truck. That stuff's got to be airmailed. Yeah. The shipping's included. Right. That's why it's so expensive. <laughs> I'm, sure if you, I'm sure if you went to uh, Hawaii and said, I need two pounds of opa filet, they'd be like, all right, that'll be 28 bucks. And, and yep. here it's like, I need two pounds of opa filet. They're like, all right, well, our minimum order is 300 and you just hit it. <laughs> <laughs> no problemo. But, you know, speaking of economics, I have one more point to make about the industry itself before we move into sort of the cooking realm. Yeah. And that is that, okay, so local shrimp are more expensive. So deal with it. Like, here's yeah, how it, it costs what it costs. I mean, like, it's more they're not expensive. trying to rip you off. They're still trying to provide a product and a service at a reasonable price, just like restaurants. They're not like, trying to price themselves out. Believe me. Here's here's the thing. There's three points. Point one, it's a buy American thing. American lab- labor is more expensive. Uh, so as a result, you get shrimp that were processed overseas. Uh, they've come they've come a long way so the reason they're cheaper even with all that travel is because they're using inexpensive labor so in a sense there's a patriotic point there's you know support your local shrimping industry keep the money in the community uh so there's i'm not saying don't buy asian shrimp if you're trying to you know put stuff in your spring rolls at a restaurant for instance like i did for a long time you buy the cheaper shrimp you can because you're giving them away for three bucks to order happy hour that's fine but if you're going to feature shrimp if you're going to make shrimp the main part of a dish, or if you're cooking at home and you really want to show out, buy American, get the real stuff. The second point, it would be the easiest thing in the world for the, the fishermen that, that serve Tarvin, the shrimpers that serve Tarvin, to chem wash all their shrimp 
and get a longer shelf life out of it. It would be the easiest thing in the world for them to do that. They're not doing that. So their shrimp tastes better, but it won't last as long. That means that it's less shelf stable, less shelf stable things become more expensive because you've got to factor in the inevitable waste when some of it turns. Mm -hmm. So you're not paying a premium just because it's domestic. You're also paying a premium because it's better because they have avoided doing the cheaty cheater tactics, cheaty. Is that a word? No. They could avoid uh, doing the cheater tactics of chem washing. And yeah, like big business, big processing. industry. So that's the second point. And the third point is fuel. Gasoline is incredibly expensive and shrimp boats burn a lot of diesel. Especially marine diesel. So if, 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 you're, if the price is high at the pump, if you look at the pump and say, oh no, you know, it's another dollar a gallon. Oh, woe is me. I'm out 40 bucks a week. Yeah, you know multiply could, that by like four for marine diesel. Right, you could absorb that 40 bucks a week. People that complain about gas prices, that's eh, kind of undignified. Uh, it's, but on the other hand, if you have a, a business to run, if, you, if you're a truck driver or a shrimp captain, then all of a sudden those gas prices become a real thing. And, you know, the gas prices get more expensive. Airline tickets get more expensive. What are you going to do? You still got to fly to Phoenix or wherever you're going. On the other hand, gas prices get more expensive, so shrimp get more expensive. No, the, the, the public doesn't really tolerate that kind of fluctuation, so they have to take it on the chin. So sometimes they just go out less. If they're making less yeah. money per run, they can't afford to go as often. Or they do jack the price, and then the stuff doesn't sell. It's a rough game. So, it's a rough, rough game. So support but believe the me, industry. <laughs> Give them your money because otherwise, if it's not profitable for them, like honestly, I've read articles where the, the industry kind of rides the edge of a knife as far as profitability goes. If it stops being profitable, they'll just stop doing it. And they'll go into industrial packaged shrimp just like everybody else does, and we'll lose an amazing local product that is completely pure and clean. There are a lot of regulations, you know, in the United States, but worldwide, there aren't a lot and they're not yeah. held to the same standards. And, you know, if they don't open the shrimping season for three weeks, when it was open three weeks ago last year, like it's <laughs> yeah. big problems. And I get it. The, the conservationist effort is good. Conservation. What, yes. The wildlife in game. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what keeps seafood sustainable. Yes. So on the one hand, yeah, they're taking it on the chin. They lose three weeks. Well, you can't say, oh, it's excessive regulation because that regulation is there to make sure that the industry is there next year and 20 years down the road and 50 years down the road. So it's a good thing, but it still hurts the shrimpers. And so yeah. as a result, they need support. So put your money behind it. There's so many reasons to, mm -hmm. and the only reason not to is it's too expensive. And you're listening to a podcast where we talk about fine cooking. So we know you're not that value conscious. If you were value conscious, you'd be listening to hot dogs and potato chips. <laughs> yeah. Like, it <laughs> well put. Blows but, my know. mind that people will pay $15 for a glass of Cabernet and then balk when the price of an excellent local seafood crosses seven bucks a pound. Like, yeah. seven bucks for a pound of. They'll freaking squirm. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's just so expensive. And it's like, how many shots did you do last night? Each one of those was $6. Like pony up, you know? <laughs> yeah. And even you not to eat like that every night either though, but if you're going to show out, if you're making a special dish or an etouffee or, you know, like, I don't even know, man, you know, even just eating them pure. Just start drinking a cup of black diner coffee in your office every day and skip the $6 latte. And at the end of the <laughs> month, you will have saved up enough money to go to La Bernadette. <laughs> yeah, Starbucks has plenty of money and their coffee is pretty shitty.
<laughs> I don't know. I'm not a coffee drinker, but Diet Coke's even cheaper. Uh, Their coffee sucks. And it's I, just loaded with sugar and all the other bullshit. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's transition into the uh, the technical part of this, where we're going to talk about a dish that is pretty much Charleston encapsulated. Uh, and that dish is... Everyone wants to come to Charleston and eat shrimp and grits. <laughs> and we sound a little snide. It's because we've been chefs in this town for a very long time. We've made it a million times. And there's there's a right and a wrong way to do shrimp and grits. And the thing is, we're not against shrimp and grits. No, not at all. It's, a, just, it's tasty. We're just against the notion that our, every restaurant has to have shrimp and grits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but shrimp and grits is an incredibly popular dish uh, that, you know, what's funny is that I don't even think it's necessarily originally a Charleston thing. I think it's the Gullah Geechee kind of thing um, from back at, way back in the day. And it is the dish has evolved into something totally different from the original. Well, tell me that's what original. everyone recognizes. Huh? Tell me about the original. I think the original is just some some allium and um, a little bit of broth and like thickened with roux. It's like a white kind of it's very simple sometimes they fold like nuts into it i think and some fresh herbs and that's it just fold the shrimp into that gravy and then serve it with grits yeah i think i think it's something real minimalistic but it sounds really good well it's become it's become this this restaurant staple and everybody tries to put their spin on it the part of sugar grits history that i know is that um Craig Claiborne of uh, the New York Times, he was the food critic there for a very long time. Uh, he discovered Crook's Corner in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is actually down the street from where I grew up when I was a little kid. Uh, and Crook's Corner had a shrimp and grits on the menu. It was Parmesan grits, which Nate, be cool for a second. Uh, and then <laughs> uh, a shrimp, uh, like a red shrimp gravy with mushrooms ladled over that. Uh, like, so tomato, mushroom, Parmesan grits, shrimp. And Craig Claiborne loved that and hyped it in the New York Times. And I think that's where the match got struck with the powder keg of shrimp and grits because Craig Claiborne was definitely a tastemaker. So he got back, to, I mean, this is kind of similar to when in the seventies, Paul Perdome started doing blackened fish at Commander's Palace. Right, like, that makes sense. It, yeah, he a dish, was- A dish that, you know, came from the Carolinas, but then got picked up by a Northern critic and put on blast. And yeah, now he was a real sudden, influencer for sure. <laughs> influencer. <laughs> that's funny but yeah so uh then th i think that's probably how it got started is like a, a charleston mainstay to where like you know you go to hominy grill shrimp and grits you go to any of the maverick restaurants shrimp and grits there's shrimp and grits everywhere but uh let's uh let's take you through the basic composition of shrimp and grits now shrimp and grits is a formula it's shrimp gravy grits uh that's and there's right. there's variants that you could do on top of that but uh, let's uh, do it. Let's talk about a few do's and don'ts, shall we, Nate? Yeah. So I think shrimp and grits do definitely use good shrimp. <laughs> definitely use good shrimp. Use good grits. Use good grits. Don't get uh, Quaker quick grits. No. And the thing is, that's what Southerners eat. Like I grew up in North Carolina. I was served Quaker quick grits all the time. That is definitely what Southerners eat at home. Fancy grits are definitely a restaurant thing. Because no mom with kids is going to sit around stirring a pot of grits for two and a half hours. That's just not, that's just not a thing that happens. However, right. restaurants, we have guys for that. 
Uh, right. Uh, us. And, and my, my, my rule of thumb with grits is I cook, I like to cook grits in, in milk and I cook polenta in water. Like huh. the difference between polenta and grits, like it's, it's a difference without much distinction. Yeah. Is what I'll pretty much say about the that. Grits are but... technically treated with lye. There's a slight, <laughs> slight textural difference, slight flavor difference. Yeah. But it, not much it, distinction though. You could fool someone if you finished it the right way. Yeah. Um, Nate, do you have any grits that you want to, you know, specifically hype? Marsh Hen Mill from our friend Greg. Um, he's he's like one of the most prominent and famous um, millers and farmers in the area. And he just does an amazing job. He's helped revitalize old grits like the Jimmy Reds and oh, yeah. Unicorn Grits. And there's different varietals that he's bringing back that were almost lost to time, which is really cool. Um, he's definitely helped spearhead that movement. But just his regular, you know, everyday grits, like they take longer. They're not quick grits by any means, but the flavor is just outstanding. It's a different world. I would like to say uh, when I was at social, uh, I used Geechee Boy uh, exclusively. Yeah, uh, Geechee Boy is is Marshan now. Oh, is it? Oh, uh, yeah. They re they uh, rebranded. I always wondered if they were going to have to do that, uh, given yeah. that Geechee Boy. It's the thing is, it's obviously meant as a term of respect, but I was wondering when that was going to become considered politically incorrect. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, I, I, I don't, I don't know that that's why they did it, but I always kind of wondered at that. I was like, huh. So when is somebody gonna say, hey, maybe this isn't right for the time? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think, I think they uh, pivoted recently. Well, good for them. Uh, if the grits are the same, I don't care what they call themselves. It's the same grits. Yeah, uh, the grits are excellent. Uh, and I'll say this: a lot of people talk about Anson Mills, and if you want to try Anson Mills, they're great. But there's one thing you have to do. And we didn't know this, and it cost us years of heartache. If you do Anson Mills grits, give them a pre-soak because they have bits of the hull in there and the hull, no matter how long you cook it, will not soften. Yep. So when you do Anson Mills grits, which are, by the way, some of the best. They're very good. Uh, get a bunch of water on them, like in a popcorn bowl, like a cup of grits and a lot of water. Whisk them around with your hands and then come back in like 20 minutes and whisk them around with your hands again. And all of the hulls will float to the top and you just skim them off. Yep. And then a little more water and then repeat that process two or three times and your grits will cook up so much nicer and so much creamier anytime. It's honestly never a bad idea if you have a new stone ground grits to do that trick because, uh, you know, it's, it, it will get, get it's insoluble fiber. Yeah. It's, and it will, it won't it'll hurt. never get soft. If they don't have a lot of hull in them, it won't hurt the grits to pre-soak. It'll make them cook faster and more evenly. So it's not a bad thing to do. So right. it ranges from either a decent idea to absolutely essential. So you may as well always do it, especially if you don't know your grits. Nate, would you agree I, with that statement? I always pre-soak. Not, not necessarily like the night before. It does help and it will help speed it up. But even 20 minutes, like you said, it'll help a ton. And it just gets rid of a lot of those unsoluble hulls and fibers off the top. And then uh, absolutely, it's, it's essential. It's necessary. Uh, and then, Nate, do you have any uh, grits don'ts for us? Uh, grits don'ts. So there's one, there's for one specific one. Uh, one specific for shrimp one. and grits, for the love of God, don't don't mound it with cheddar cheese or Parmesan. Like, yeah, it doesn't need it. If you're buying good grits and you're buying good shrimp, don't cheese it out. It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. Yeah. 
Not that it isn't awesome. I love cheesy grits, but not not this way. Not with shrimp. Not with seafood. No. Finish a, it with a big gob of butter. Yeah, just a butter. And then, like, what's cheese? Cheese is salt and fat and protein. Well, hold the protein. You have salt and fat. Just season it nice. Huge amounts yep. of butter. Uh, you know, there's just, there's, 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 I mean, for breakfast grits, I like a pinch of sugar and a little nutmeg. But this, I mean, for shrimp grits, it's all about... It's all about the flavor of the corn itself. Corn and flavor. If yep. you make your gravy right, the gravy will bring enough interest. So the grits should just taste like nice, salty, buttery cornmeal. And it's yep. not, and you know what? Even even if you, if, let's say you're stuck. Let's say you have to make shrimp grits and the only grits you can get are like Quaker oats or Quaker grits, Quaker quote grits. It's not the end of the world. Huh. Just in like when you're cooking them up, maybe take a, if you have like, let's say it's you just have that and some milk. Replace half the milk with heavy cream. Do them in half and half instead. Yep. Uh, you know, add and a then, little extra fat, and then or a little or or after you make them, fold in a knob of butter until they're like let them start to set up a little bit so you can see what their cool like cooling consistency is going to be. Yeah. And then just keep on adding butter until it's nice and spoonable. And, back, and I'm cut. jumping a little bit of ahead of myself, but for the gravy, I always like to put fresh corn in it off the cob, and then I'll take those cobs and make like a corn stock and strain it off, and I'll cook the grits in the corn stock to like that's double down on the idea. corn flavor. That's like a pro move. Like that's a good move. And then adding the fresh kernels to the gravy. Well, that's not something I usually do, although I do remember that from yours. Yeah, uh, that's a great move because one of the things that professional chefs do when composing is reinforce flavors. By reinforce, yep, layer I mean, them. bring in a different, like the same sort of flavor in a different way. Yep. That's why when we would slice raw heirloom tomatoes for our tomato salad, we would brush them with a little bit of uh, like tomato, tomato, paste and, tomato paste infused oil. So you get that secret sheen mm -hmm. of cooked tomato flavor on top of a raw tomato when people wouldn't even understand what we did. They yep. just think that the raw tomato was impossibly good, which it was. It is impossible because we cheated. That's, that's yeah. the way you do it. Like, it, you know, reinforce flavors, bring in... You know, if you're if you're making a, a gravy to go over a pork loin, start it with a little salt pork. You know, make it a porky gravy to go over your yeah. porky. Uh, but that that's restaurant cooking and reinforcing and layering flavors. Like if you're gonna do it at home, of course you can do that. Like it's yeah. gonna be awesome. But it is more steps and it is a little more effort, but it's worth the result, like for sure. Yeah. So um, let's get into the gravy because I feel like once we've agreed, no cheese in the grits. Use the nicest grits you can, and then use yep. the nicest shrimp you can. And really, the shrimp, you don't really even really have to saute. You can just drop it raw into the gravy and bring it in. That, that's what I do. Go. That's what I was going to ask you about. Like, I do not pre-cook them, and I don't – I oh, just no. drop them oh, right no. into the gravy and almost a la minute, like maybe like 10 minutes before no, we serve if, it. Even if I'm having – well, like if you're serving it at home, yeah, 10 yeah. minutes. Or let's say you're doing it at a restaurant. Even if I have the most, like, cheesy line ever where it's all just poop and scoop, which is, by the way, a technical term, guys. Poop and scoop is cafeteria <laughs> cooking. Plop and um, drop. Poop and scoop. <laughs> so uh, even if you're if you're just doing poop and scoop, I'll have like a third pan, a, a large rectangular deep pan of grits and another one of gravy right next to it. And the pickup will be get the hot gravy into a saute pan, drop the shrimp right in there, throw it on a flame. The gravy's already hot, so it won't take but a minute and a half to like get yeah. to a real boil. Boil the shrimp. Meanwhile, while I turn around, grab a plate, put some grits in the middle of it, make a little divot so the gravy sits nice. And then just dump the pan on top of the grits and then a little something green on top for garnish. It's a very fast restaurant pickup. That's how I do it. Now, the one, the one thing I do with the shrimp that I think is important is this is for shrimp in pasta, gravy, soup, anytime where you're throwing shrimp in something to poach. If you sear a shrimp if you or grill a shrimp, 
then you you salt it and you throw it in the pan and the salt kind of seals into the surface of the uh, the surface of the shrimp. True. And if you're if you're boiling shrimp, you just salt the hell out of your water. Like shrimp boil water is lethally salty, and that kind of like plumps the shrimp as it cooks. But if you're dropping a shrimp into a soup or a stew, any seasoning you put off put on the inside immediately washes away. It gets into the gravy. But the thing is, you're going to be eating the gravy, so you don't want it to be oversalted. If it was salty enough to actually season your shrimp, it would be inedible. Like, no one eats the broth from a low country boil. Uh, on the other hand, if you take your shrimp and salt it on one side, flip it over, and then salt it on the other side, and then let it sit for like 10 minutes, that's all it takes. It's a little dry brine. Yep, same will- for fish. If you do that to your fish or your scallops, it'll help plump it up. Like it's a, that's, that's a pro move, man. But, for espe- sure. but especially for shrimp that you're cooking into a stew because you're exactly you're, like, that's, that's where it's, it'll work for all those other things too, but shrimp, it's super critical. Like if I'm doing Fra Diavolo, the pasta Fra Diavolo, which we covered on our episode two and three, I think it was episode podcast, episode three, the, the, the pasta one, uh, the fried the fried diavolo the first time i did it it kind of sucked because the sauce just washed the salt away and it got absorbed into the sauce and diluted and tossed all through the pasta so each bite of shrimp was bland next time i did it pre-seasoned the shrimp 10 minutes entirely different world so i think if you're making shrimp and grits you got to do that that's part like, of it and, and if you're worried about over sanding it or over salting it too you can do a 10 percent salt solution for 10 minutes yeah perfect and that's super um easy. well actually for shrimp you may want to cut that back depending on the size maybe like five yeah i mean but that's 10 10 minutes is my rule of thumb 10 yeah. for 10 minutes for a fish like a you know a nice steaky seared piece of fish or, or a like big super and scallop jumbo shrimp like you you 15s kind of shrimp yeah 10 10's good actually if you're going like you know you uh you know 25 30s or below like maybe like five by the way guys uh i covered this on uh, my most recent blog post about uh italian american cuisine where i tried some recipes from Rayo's, but uh i'll cover it here too shrimp are packed by count so when we say 2630, that means there's between 26 and 30 shrimp in a pound. That means yes. they're about just over a half ounce. If we say 10 15s, that means there's between 10 and 15. So it goes U10, which means there's under 10 in a pound. Those are the big boys. And then you uh-huh. can sometimes get like U4s, but those are like a special order thing where they're just these gigantic fat prawns. But like mm-hmm. the standard sizes are U10, 10 15, 16 20, uh, 21 25, 25 26 yep. 30. And then 30, mm-hmm. 36, any smaller than 30, 36. And you get into the cocktail shrimp range and they're just not worth it. Cause you're going to be peeling shrimp all day. A pound of shrimp is 50 shrimp. A pound of shrimp is about enough for one and a half good entrees. Uh, yeah. But if you're shucking shrimp to order, you don't want to go smaller than 26, 30. Yeah. 26, 30 or just 20 or 6, 30. You're already going to be pissed off by the time you get, if you're cooking for four people, you're going to be angry by the time you get done cleaning them shrimp. <laughs> it's a lot uh, of work at restaurants, 10, 15 is when you can get them, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 1620s, we can get them 21, 25s and they're under 1620s. Those are like the standard sizes for restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, uh, the thing is a smaller shrimp is actually not bad for shrimp and grits, just not smaller than, just not smaller than 2630 because otherwise shucking them is just going to be a miserable yeah, exercise. Yeah, just a lot of work. And it's not that they're bad shrimp. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, oh, and remember to peel and deveining your shrimp. Uh, oh, and remember folks, there's two turds on every shrimp. Um, you don't have to be a psycho like me and Tarver and pull both of them out, but definitely get the one along the backside. Yeah, there's the big vein that you can clearly see poo in, and then there's the smaller blue vein on the other side. I leave the blue vein alone. I'm a hack. Uh, even when I'm cooking for myself. I take it out because I'm a, a psycho. And there's no known cure. 
It's okay. It's okay to be Nate. This is this is this is why your place has always got better views than my places. No, that's not true. <laughs> okay, well, this is why my places were always cheaper than your places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all good. No, they, 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 Nate, and I, Nate and I sort of diverged, and I definitely came out sort of a little more driven by you know bistro cooking and it came out of a sort of really really pushing refine like, refine super, refine super fine dining so the thing is that diversity is kind of what allows this to be fun for us because we're yeah. kind of we're not competing at all i recognize that neither the, neither are wrong the only wrong thing is to not get the big one out of the back yeah or to use pre-pd vein shrimp because they are always aggressively chem washed and you shouldn't be using them that makes you a bad cook i've never seen a, a chem free peeled into vein shrimp. they don't exist I've never seen them. No, I've never. I mean, I've never and seen the a chem, lot of it. Do, it does keep them more juicy and moist, and you know, helps cut down on freezer burn and all that. But it, it tastes like absolute garbage. Yeah, I'll tell you where the chem comes in handy. The one time I've used chem washed shrimp in my career, happily, I had a shrimp pizza at Social. It was cooked in a wood fired pizza oven, and the first couple of times I made it, I made it with nice shrimp. And the intense heat of the oven, even though I was waiting, I was letting the crust pre-cook and then pulling it back out and putting the raw shrimp on there, which, by the way, my line cooks loved me for, uh, <laughs> because that's not a giant pain in the ass. See, Dave, I'm like you. Uh, well, but, raw shrimp on pizza, just like raw sausage. You exactly. got to do it. But the thing Don't is the raw, mess around. But the raw sausage you can fire at the start of the, of the yeah, cook. Yeah, you, yeah. The raw shrimp, you, you, if you did that, they just turned into like just rocks. Yeah, so uh, like because it's a 500 degree oven and a pizza cooks for like four minutes shrimp can't take four minutes at 500 degrees nope. so i tried it i tried cutting them i tried brining them i tried a bunch of stuff and i wasted a bunch of pizza and i was like i can't make this pizza good and then i i had a, on a whim i had those crappy shrimp that i used in the spring rolls because we sold the spring rolls for three bucks an order at happy hour and mm-hmm. i was like huh and i tried it and they worked perfectly like the intense chem wash let them gave them enough internal trapped moisture which by the way should tell you why they do the chem wash but it let it survive the intense heat of the pizza oven and it came out nice and palatable on the pizza and with the crust and the sauce and the garnish that was it was okay i found a use for the world's worst shrimp but if you're not cooking them in a wood oven onto a pizza crust and you use them you suck yeah, it's like the Nutrifos we were talking about and the sausage it like super brines. Like yeah. if you're going to brine or salt your shrimp, it's like doing that to like the 10th power. Yeah, exactly. So that's, there are, I guess there are goes, benefits, but you got to show be. that there, there are times when you can use them, but you shouldn't use them any place you're going to feature the shrimp. Yeah, and you don't want that as your go-to. So let's, uh, let's talk gravy. All right. Talk gravy, run it down. How do you well, start yours? I think with, with, when I'm doing a shrimp gravy, uh, I've got, you know, there's three basic options. Do I want to use a, a meat stock, like a chicken stock or a veal stock and make like a brown gravy? That's an option. Or do I want to use a seafood stock, like a shrimp stock or a shellfish stock and do sort of a shrimpy gravy? Or do I want to use tomato and do a red gravy? Uh, but then again, there's 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 com- combinations and permutations of all those. Like if you told me to just make a basic old school shrimp and grits, I would sweat bacon and onions and then I would have a little chicken stock and a little like tomato puree, you know, canned or conserva or something like that. Just canned tomato product. Not mm-hmm. enough that it becomes a red sauce. Uh, and then maybe hit it with a little bit of Wondra uh, to, uh, to help it bind. Wondra is, uh, Wondra is basically a flower that acts like rue. And I've started using it extensively. It's like totally a 1950s housewife trick, but man, it works ass off. 
Um, or if I wasn't going to do Wondra, then sprinkle a little flour into the bacon and onions before adding the stock, just like I was building a pan sauce. Yeah, it's basically a prehydrated cooked flour in granular form yeah. that you can just dust in. You don't have to cook out the flour flavor. Exactly. And it, it'll it's, thicken. It's powdered flour that works like cornstarch slurry, but but has like the, you know how like flour thickened sauces have that kind of homey gravy flavor? Wondra's got that too. It's amazing stuff. And they sell it at the most housewife-ass redneck grocery store in the world. It's it's the kind of thing you can't find at Whole Foods, but can find at Food Lion. Right. Um, and and yet they use it at La Bernadette for stuff. Like Wonder yep. is the real deal. Um, yep. So that's what I do. But you know, one way or the other, whether you use Rue or Wondra, bacon and onions, flour, little tomato, little chicken stock, and then make it a little bit too thick and then let it back out with some nice butter. That's basic shrimp and grits gravy to me. How do you feel about that? That's that's basic to me too. Like what I do is I'll do, you know, alliums like onion, maybe a little garlic, bacon, render it out, paste, caramelize the paste a little. And then I just go straight tomato usually for like, that's what most people kind of associate shrimp and grits, Charleston-y. Mm -hmm. And I'll add a can of pureed tomatoes and then I'll put like andouille and tasso in it and then throw in some fresh corn, maybe some leeks um let it and then you can take your seasonings however you want like sometimes i'll put like a squirt of like you know prepared barbecue sauce in there oh yeah i remember your, <clears> i remember butter your it out. weapon yeah sweet baby raise because i got the sweetest chicago. jump shot in the south side of chicago oh my god sweet baby ray was such a clown um sweet baby ray actually came to my cooking school uh he is a he was a very short roly-poly white guy not what you'd expect. <laughs> tell him, tell, okay, so tell him how he gets the nickname. Yeah, oh yeah, well, you just did. He goes, I got the sweetest, oh. the sweetest, they call me that because I got the sweetest jump shot in the south side of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Simply unreal. Anyway, uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with sweet baby rays. Uh, so yeah, I think that like if I'm analyzing this, if I'm analyzing yours, I see the corn as a great touch of reinforcement, like we said. Yep. Uh, I see the Dewey and Tasso as a lot of people like some pork products, shrimp and pork is such a great combination. Yeah, and uh, like you won't you won't find a ton of shrimp and grits without a pork product in them, unless someone was specifically trying to do a shrimp and grits without a pork a pork in it. If someone was trying to specifically to avoid that, um, and like, I don't I don't I don't always add stock. Sometimes I do, but I just that way I don't have to thicken it if I'm at home or. Most of my shrimp and grits have been for like banquets and weddings and stuff. And it's more like a tomato gravy. Yeah. But don't add the shrimp till you're ready. You have your gravy hot and ready. Um, and then like, well, I already told the story on the podcast. I'll just quickly go over it now of my shrimp and grits at social, which was, it was shrimp and polenta. And I was using a bunch of shishi Euro products because social was like a fancy pants wine bar. So I tried to keep the food very European, but for brunch, they wanted me to have shrimp and grits. I'm like, okay, well, that's an American dish. But my, my, my theme is very much Mediterranean Euro, so how could I do this? So I used Manicoretti polenta instead of grits. And then I made the gravy with piquillo peppers and Spanish chorizo. And then mm -hmm. a ladle of chicken gravy and a ladle. I had chicken gravy on hand for one of the pizzas. A ladle of chicken gravy and a ladle of tomato sauce in with the, the chorizo and peppers and then butter on top of that. And, the, you know, the story is that I invented it in 30 seconds because I had forgotten to make the sauce for the shrimp and grits. So I 
did the old ass pull and the owner loved it. And I was like, he's like, that gravy was fantastic. What's in it? And I was like, it's so hack. I don't want to tell you. Uh, <laughs> but awesome. uh, nevertheless, it turned out successful. And it's the same thing. It's, it's just like your formula. It's, you know, tomato plus extra flavoring ingredient. plus. Yeah, pork. there's so many derivatives you can take and so many directions you can go. It's all stylistic at this point. And but, you know, you don't want it too your... thick. You don't even really need a nappe almost. It's more like a like a marinara sauce almost yeah. like the, the gravy we're speaking of it's not like uh you know like thick turkey gravy or, or sausage gravy it doesn't need right to stand. yeah so, it's not like sausage gravy well you're serving it yeah. over a, you're serving it over a pile of grits so it doesn't need to stand up on the plate it can run it can be exactly uh, i've had great shrimp more and like grits. a ragu kind of i've had fantastic shrimp and grits gravy that was based on lobster stock and then had like nice wild mushrooms in it so it was like shallot wild mushroom lobster sock shrimp and grits i don't remember where uh but it was very subtle and delicate but you could kind of tell that they were almost deliberately trying to make a shrimp and grits that wasn't shrimp and grits mm -hmm. um but it's you know i've seen really really great stuff along those lines yeah. uh how about dab a lobster base in there it'll go a long way right when i say lobster stock i got no problem with lobster base hell i mean if you're making even if you make it with just tomato sauce a little lobster base would be a great idea that's how I make my she crab. That's the secret to a good she crab soup is a little bit of lobster base. 100%. 100%. You know, sometimes <laughs> hack tricks work. And yep. we're the guys who are not, not afraid to, to tell you about our hack tricks. I mean, there's a couple I'm going to keep under my hat. But lobster base, Wondra, fuck it. I don't care. It's Take my hack I mean, I don't, I don't use it as lobster stock, but Hell if no. I need a little crumb of that, it's good. It's, it's, it, it, lobster base won't make lobster stock, but it'll make your lobster stock better. Yes. Uh, but a little bit. You don't need a lot. Well, any other cool add-ins you've seen? Oh man, um, I always like doing like um, like doing like a sofrito with like tomato paste, a little extra tomato paste in it, and then just let it go a long, long time, like hours on end, and then do your then you start you know your onion, garlic, bacon, sweat, sweat, get a little caramelized, and then add your tomato product and your tasso and your andouille and then put a scoop of that long slow cooked vegetal compote to it and it gives it that depth yeah. just like the, and then add your fresh corn so you get the fresh and the slow and the long cook and just you know layering and reinforcing flavors is that's a pretty good trick you know what might be cool what might be cool is to do almost like a like a southern mediterranean style shrimp and grits or into your tomato, you put a bunch of braised fennel and a little, uh, like a Ooh. splash of Pernod and a yeah. pinch of saffron. That would and be delicious. Do that, uh, and, uh, you know, it'd take your, it'd still be shrimp and grits, but it would take it in a very different flavor direction. Yeah, that'd be great. One yeah, garnish, just little things like that. One garnish I've seen that I kind of liked uh, for shrimp and grits served in a brunch setting. Uh, and this is honestly something I saw at Pugin's Porch. Uh, they would just drop a couple of poached eggs on top. Yeah, eggs in that would be delicious. Like it, eggs it in worked, purgatory. It works really well. Eggs in purgatory? Yeah. I'm not familiar yeah. with that. It's like uh, poached eggs in like a tomato-y kind of ragu. Okay. Is That's that an Italian cool. thing? Yeah, it's a good dish. Uh. With the name Matt Catholic, Italian was my first guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, For well, sure. I think... That's that's been some great hints, man. You got anything else on the subject of shrimp and grits? Uh, not so much shrimp and grits, but shrimp. Just just like any other seafood, just think gentle, gentle, gentle. Like when you hear the word boiled shrimp, don't think you got to rip and boil it the whole time. Like 
hot, you know, you want that hot, the boiling is for the convection to get that heat flowing around it, but don't feel like it's got to like rip, rip, rip away. Gentle, gentle, gentle. Like the way I, I like to do like the reverse boil on shrimp, if you're brave enough, like have your shrimp in a container and bring your liquid up to a boil and pour it over the shrimp and then just let it gently hang out. Like we cook our lobsters and well, and the, the beauty of that is that the the temperature of the boil is constantly falling. Yes. So the shrimp get enough initial heat to shock them and to make them curl to get to get the mm -hmm. protein started. But then as they get to the critical point where they might overcook, uh -huh. the heat is running out of the liquid constantly. Right. You just have to the have the thermal right. mass kind of starts to catch up to the cold or room temperature shrimp. And, you know, you get that temperature gradient. And then once it reaches equilibrium, it keeps them more gentle from like, over the proteins like denaturing too hard but like a good trick that i think i learned from you is when they just start to curl is a good you know ocular cue to know when your shrimp are just about there when yeah they just start they just start to see up yeah absolutely because if you cook them if you cook a shrimp till it's perfectly cooked in the liquid it will overcook on you shrimp carry over real they'll bad. carry yes remember carry over cooking try not to shock them but if you have to do it and the thing is the way you test it is it, this is if you're boiling shrimp or you know, even if you do it in shrimp and grits even if you throw it into your gravy the way you know the shrimp is ready if you don't want its optimum time to serve yeah just pick a shrimp up and bite into it like yeah. under undercooked shrimp's not Taste gonna hurt it. you it's not gonna kill you it's not like undercooked it's just know, a weird breast. texture yeah so it's just a weird you want to avoid that weird texture so take a bite if the shrimp is gonna hurt almost, almost perfect with a little tiny nugget translucent, serve. By the time you get it to the table, it'll be ready to rock. Yeah, it's not like biting into a raw chicken wing. Yeah, exactly. You know, which would be disgusting would in be the extreme. Freaking but gross. Probably yeah. also dangerous, especially if the chicken was processed in one of those huge Tyson plants where they basically swim in chicken shit. Mm-hmm. What an unpleasant thought. Well, yeah. Right, well, with that unpleasant thought, uh, you know, taste your shrimp, buy local, don't put cheese in your grits. Make your gravy awesome. Make your gravy awesome enough to eat a bowl of by itself. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, that's a great rule of like, thumb. But, you know, there's really no wrong roads. Just buy good ingredients and take good care of them, and it'll never be a disaster. Yeah, and uh, remember, uh, when, you come to Charleston, care. when you come to Charleston, you don't have to get shrimp and grits. It's probably going to be crappy. 80% of shrimp and grits is a crappy. Just yep. because they're executed badly, they're cooked by people that don't care. They and they're usually shrimp. not local shrimp because they, they taste like the gravy. Right. So just if you come to Charleston, just get whatever you want to get. There's no There's no food you have to get when you come to Charleston. Just do what you want. Make it so that chefs can be like find a find some local shrimp that are make made by you know like a good reputable chef or a restaurant. Yeah. And if they're featuring them, like there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Or you know, uh, set up a set up a grill on the beach and do a low country boil get some shrimp and some sausage which you can also get at a tarvin they have tank johnson's pork sausage there uh yep. and then some onions and some corn and some potatoes and just have a boil and then you'll be like oh i'm really cooking but the whole thing takes 10 minutes and you get badass shrimp the way you should have it on a paper plate with a bunch of long necks sitting on a beach house porch mm -hmm. <laughs> proper all right. Well, uh, that pretty much concludes our discussion of uh, shrimp and uh, a rare nod to Charleston cuisine, which Nate and I don't spend much time on at all, considering we both live here and have for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, there you go. An all Charleston episode. I'll even put a Charleston, uh, a Charleston tag on the podcast if we write anything about this. 
Um, Charleston. Charleston. C H O L L S D O N. Man, those locals. I, I guess I like some locals. <laughs> All right. Before I get myself into any more trouble, Speakeasy's going to play us out of here. Uh, uh, for uh, Nate Spankick Whiting, I am out of the South, Jesse said. Thank you so much for listening to Hot Dogs and Caviar. Later, nerds. Come on, baby, just keep your head up. Come on, baby.